Psalm 23, um, we're in the second of three sermons, it's just a short trilogy on Psalm 23, Uh, so this is the second week we're looking at the first image that David gives us in the psalm, the image of uh, the Lord as our shepherd, so we're looking at the the fact that the Lord Jesus is our shepherd. Um, Without recapitulating everything from last week, we saw that uh, throughout the scriptures, from the beginning to the end of the Bible, Really, the theme of God as our shepherd, it, um, it's a big theme that culminates in the person and work of Jesus Christ himself, who is the good shepherd, who reveals to us that God really is good, and he really is good even to people like us. Um, and this shepherd, Jesus Christ, he leads us to the true, uh, the, the true green pastures and the true still waters, uh, which ultimately reflect the... the the supreme sustenance and satisfaction that is found in God, in our relationship with God. So this morning, we're going to continue to look at what that means, uh, the fact that Jesus is our shepherd and how this is a, uh, it's a psalm of confidence that points us to him as the one who gives us real courage and uh, real strength to face the serious difficulties that we all experience in this life. So let me pray, and then we'll talk about that. <clears throat> Father, we pray for your help as we consider your word. It is uh, quite clear in many ways, and yet uh, we need help because uh, we're not the kind of people who would receive it well if it weren't for your Spirit's work in us. So we pray that you would help us to receive your word with gladness. We pray that you would help us to be changed into the likeness of Christ by it as um, as we hear it and think about it and consider it and respond with faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So really we're going to focus on verses 3 and 4 this morning where David shifts to uh, what seems to us, at least in the English language, a more explicit explanation of the metaphor that he's giving us, the image that he's giving us of of God, the Lord being our shepherd. Verses 1 and 2 put the relationship in terms of what shepherds, like literal earthly shepherds, actually do most of the time is um, leading the sheep to rest and grass to eat and water to drink. Um, And in verses 3 and 4, the shepherd um, is described as doing things that really kind of earthly shepherds don't do. Shepherd restores my soul. The shepherd leads me to paths of righteousness. So just in case it was unclear that this talk of the Lord as our shepherd, it's a figure of speech, right? Um, So we understand that the grass and the water to which he leads us in verses 1 and 2, they aren't literally grass and water, but they're uh, what's best for us in our life with God, what's best for us in our relationship to God. So we understand then in verses 3 and 4 that things like restoration, and leading, these are more spiritual terms, right? 
uh, for his, his converting us and his sanctifying us, the big fancy word for uh, making us more like Jesus. Um, so the work of this shepherd, this shepherd that Psalm 23 is talking about, the work of this shepherd has to do with our souls ultimately. Ultimately, it has to do with our relationship with God. Now, by nature, as, uh, as self-centered individuals who are really not so interested in, in God's idea of what is good for us, uh, we would most likely distort Psalm 23 and pray something like this. This is the kind of bizarro alternative that we've come up with. Um, <clears throat> I like to think of God as my vending machine. Not my shepherd, my vending machine. I'd like to believe that if I can just find the right form of currency, the right amount of currency, whatever that is, that I can probably reliably get from him whatever it is that really makes me happy. He's my vending machine, or my personal assistant. I'd really like never to have to get out of bed to go to work again. Um... Maybe he'll fetch the takeout for me from my favorite restaurant and keep the fridge stocked with the best beer. To that end, sure, he can help me kick some of my bad habits. Yeah, he can even make me a, a decent person. It'd be great never to feel guilty again. And, and maybe, uh, maybe he'll like what he sees enough to grant all my wishes. Uh, in fact, if I'm decent enough... Would you, God, give me a nice, comfortable life, or at least plenty of sedatives and painkillers around? Uh, I'll do whatever it takes to be spared pain and suffering, really. That's kind of the alternative that we're um, left with if we're not interested in God's idea of what is good for us. This is our idea of what is good for us, our idea of what's best for us. God the vending machine, God the personal assistant, God the personal trainer or the therapist. Uh, we want the saccharine life, and when that fails, please give us the morphine. Uh, if we can't have the false reality that we want to create, at least can we not have the true reality that we don't want. Um, we want to be protected from all bad circumstances, or we want an escape hatch. But that's not at all what God is like, not this shepherd. It's not at all what, uh, what he wants for us. It's not what kind of shepherd Jesus is or what our relationship for him is to be like. Because unfortunately, the, the reality that's pretty obvious, glaringly obvious to us, is that life is hard, right? filled with circ uh, uh, difficult circumstances, and God doesn't spare us from that. He doesn't spare his beloved people from life being hard. Even when he's our good shepherd, he doesn't spare us because he's actually taking us somewhere. He's changing us. That's his plan, to get us somewhere and to change us along the way. That's his real plan, not just to spare us from difficulty. He's not just cushioning us around with nice big soft pillows or airbags. Uh, he's leading us on paths of righteousness. And uh, so he doesn't just help you clean up your life in a few manageable ways that are agreeable with your constitution. Uh, he takes you through what is entirely unmanageable by you. And he makes you a completely new person. Jesus, the good shepherd, is remaking you in his own image. And if you know anything about Jesus, you know it's going to take a lot to get you from here to there. Uh, 
He doesn't do it. He doesn't change you so that then you'll be good enough to deserve, deserve God's favor. He does it, the text says, for his own name's sake. He does it for his own name's sake. So that, that means so that we would know, a name is something by which somebody is known. It's your reputation or your character, right? So he's demonstrating his favor to us in leading us on paths of righteousness, restoring our souls and converting and sanctifying us, making us more like Christ. He's demonstrating his favor to us. It's his love that's already been set freely on us so that it would be known what kind of God he is, what kind of shepherd he really is. This is why um, we're led on paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So this psalm is a declaration of confidence in this shepherd, not, not a shepherd that we would design for ourselves, given the chance, but the shepherd as he really is, as he's revealed himself to be all throughout the scriptures. So in one sense, that's very disconcerting. That's very troubling. That he is not a shepherd after our own imagining, our own designs. Because it means that apparently, the valley of the shadow of death is, is the only open route on the map. It's the only open route on the map for us to get from where we are now to where God wants us to be. The valley of the shadow of death is going to be something all of us walk through. Um, We wish it weren't so, but that's what kind of shepherd God is. That's what he's doing in our lives. He's taking us through there. So that means all manner of sufferings and even death itself. Even if it's, that's what it means, the valley of the shadow of death. This is, uh, this is not just really hard times. Really, ultimately, death is uh, what we're, we have to walk through. So all manner of sufferings and even death itself are on the way to where Jesus is leading you. And it's unavoidable. The Bible does not promise that you will be spared from this path. But the good news is, troubling as that may be, and, and should be, Uh, The good news is that with this shepherd, that that dark ravine isn't the destination. That's not the destination. That's just the route. It's the necessary route to bring you to life and glory on the other side of it. So Derek Kidner, there's several quotes from him on the uh, front page of the bulletin there. He's got a really great uh, commentary on Psalms, Uh, very succinct, very powerful stuff. So I've I could have probably just read his chapter on Psalm 23 to you and it would have sufficed as a, as a sermon, but um, he's got several good things to say. One of the quotes there for you is that the, he says that the dark valley is as truly one of his right paths as are the green pastures. A fact that takes much of the sting out of any ordeal. And his presence overcomes the worst thing that remains. It's the fear. So we've got to remember who our shepherd is. That's what we've got to remember. Um, We've got to remember who our shepherd is. He's revealed to be Emmanuel. That's his name. And that means that he is God with us. God with us. Even in our sufferings. Even in the valley of the shadow of death. He's God with us. He's the shepherd who accompanies us through that and takes us through it. He's guiding us through it. Our God has first-hand knowledge of suffering he has firsthand knowledge of humiliation, firsthand knowledge of sorrow, of grief and loss. He has firsthand knowledge of rejection and deep loneliness. He has firsthand knowledge of public shaming and injustice and torture and pain and um, 
and even death as he was murdered. Our God has firsthand knowledge of the, the valley of the shadow of death. In his person, the incarnate Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, God has been with us in the valley of the shadow of death in every way. And in fact, somehow mysteriously, uh, the paths of righteousness led him there. It was his path of righteousness that led him there. It says in Hebrews 2, this is very difficult, I'm not going to explain all this, but it just says that God made his son, Jesus Christ, perfect through suffering. As Jesus Christ was taken through the valley of the shadow of death, it was somehow a part of his path of righteousness, his perfection, that his father led him through there. But for him, the valley of the shadow of death was not his final destination. It was just the necessary route to everlasting life and true glory. God didn't abandon him to death. He raised him from the dead, never to suffer death again. Never to enter the valley of the shadow of death again in his own person. In him, then, in, in Christ, we have the promise that God won't lead you to the valley of the shadow of death just to ditch you there, just to drop you off there as a cruel trick. Um, but that he leads you through it. And he is with you there, in it. And he'll go all the way through with you. That's, that's what our text means, is that he will go all the way through with you. I figured it's been a couple weeks since I quoted Lord of the Rings, so <clears throat> this is, uh, there you go. Um, Sam, Sam Wise Gamgee, right? He and Frodo are taking the ring to, uh, to Mordor, it's dangerous, very dangerous. They encounter something that is uh, basically an insurmountable obstacle for them, and Frodo gets stung by the giant spider, Shelob, and uh, Sam thinks that he's dying and thinks that he's dead. Right? Sam, the faithful, loyal, the hero of the whole story, really, right? loyal Samwise Gamgee, for all his loyalty, when he thought Frodo was dying, he cried out, don't go where I can't follow. Don't go where I can't follow. He wanted to be with him. He wanted to help him. But he acknowledged that death was a place that he couldn't follow him. Jesus is the good and faithful shepherd who is able to journey with you all the way through death itself. And out the other side. In eternal safety. He doesn't spare you from death, but he is with you through it. Death is that worst thing imaginable to us. He is with you all the way through it. He says... Follow me, I know the way. Again, Derek Kidner says that uh, only the Lord can lead a man through death. All other guides turn back, and the traveler must go on alone. So he knows how to lead you through suffering and death, through it, not just to it, but through it, so that you'll come out with a glorious love of God, so that you'll be remade entirely. Um, and so the, the right response to him is one of faith, one that insists that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Um, so in, in times of desperation, that each one of us will face, in times of desperation, uh, the one who prays Psalm 23 
can't just go on declaring the Lord's goodness in the third person anymore. You notice that switch has taken place, that shift uh, from the third person referring to God. He leads me. He leads me. Now it's you. Can't just go on. Things have gotten serious, and our insistence is personal, and it's direct, and it's a prayer. You, Lord Jesus, you are with me. You take away my fear. I take comfort in knowing that you protect me. That's the image of the rod in ancient Palestine. The shepherds carried two implements. The rod is for beating off wolves and bears and things that might threaten, uh, threaten the sheep. So uh, it's for protection. And the, then the staff is for discipline of the sheep. The staff is for the discipline. And the one who prays Psalm 23 to the Lord Jesus Christ says, I take comfort in knowing that you protect me and that you discipline me. Um, there is a little, there, we can parse out our pain a little bit uh, in this passage, uh, this pain that is often overwhelming and confusing. You've got the, the valley of the shadow of death, these terrible circumstances, and you've got the staff, the shepherd's implement for correcting you, keeping you on the right path, and, um, and the psalmist, and the one who prays Psalm 23, says, I can be unafraid and I can be comforted because Jesus is the one with me and Jesus is the one with that staff. He's the one with that rod and with that staff. So the discipline part might seem odd to you, but it makes total sense, right? Uh, we, we, by nature, are suspicious of uh, discipline, right? By nature, we look at people in authority and say, if they think they know what's best for me and they're going to shape my life so that it's, uh, it's better than what I think, I don't trust that. I'm going to be suspicious of that. I'm going to view that as a threat. When people come to me and start to implement discipline in my life, my first reaction is to withdraw or to strike back. Right? I think it's a, a threat. It's something to be fought. But it makes perfect sense that discipline um, would be good for us and comforting for us because with this analogy, with this metaphor, we have sheep do not know what is good for them. Sheep are stupid. They do not know what is good for them. When they head through the dark, scary places, they're prone to bolt and leave the shepherd's side, which would be bad. That's what would be bad, is if you're, you find yourself in the dark place and you leave your shepherd. That would be bad for you, so he has that stick, and he cracks it, and he pushes sheep around, and he jerks sheep back to keep them on the paths of righteousness, to keep them near him, right? Uh, and that might not feel great. That probably doesn't ever feel great, experiencing the Lord's discipline in this way, but you better believe it's for your good. You better believe that it's for your good. Again, Derek Kidner says, discipline is security. That's what the psalm is about. I'm comforted. I find comfort in the fact, knowing that my shepherd is disciplining me. He's keeping me near his side when I'm prone to wander. Discipline is security, not a generic security like, hey, it'll be good for you. It'll build character. Right? It's not a generic security that we find in God's discipline. It's the security of God's fatherly love that's set upon you. You can know for sure that God's fatherly love is set upon you when he disciplines you. 
It's the same love with which he loved his own son, Jesus, which carried Jesus Christ to the cross and then raised him from the dead. If God treats you like his beloved children, like he treated his own only begotten son, if he treats you like his beloved children, it'll mean crosses for you. It'll mean the death of your self-centeredness. It'll, make, it'll mean the breaking of every rebellious bone in your body. As we uh, read in Hosea chapter 6, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. So not run away from the one who has torn us and struck us down. Let's return to him because he's doing it for our good. He's going to heal us. He's going to bind us up. So what means death to your old self-centered self? That part of you that wants to have nothing to do with God by nature? What means death to that self? It means life to God. It means a, a new humanity in Jesus Christ. It means being renewed in his image. And that's a beautiful thing. And that's a good thing. And we should want that and be thankful for the ways that God brings that about in our lives. As Katie read uh, from Hebrews 12, we're being treated as beloved children when God disciplines us. It's for our good. And there's something about that that is so unnatural for us, you've just got to trust it. But everywhere the scriptures give us reason to trust it. To trust God's uh, discipline of, a, of us. Because this is what God wants for you, that you would be renewed in Christ's own image, and he will make that happen whatever it takes. He will make that happen. So the staff is not a threat to you, like you would imagine, like I would imagine. No sheep is going to just volunteer to be struck with or crooked back by that stick. It's not a threat to you, though. It really is for your good. The goal of God's discipline is always good for you. It's always restoration. It's always going to beautify you in some way, change you, so that you'd be more like Jesus. And again, anybody who's spent any time thinking about what Jesus is like, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Even if it feels like you're cracking under the pressure of it. David felt that way in Psalm 32. He prayed to God, Day and night your hand was heavy upon me. Trying to bring me to a place where I would confess my sins and turn back to you for forgiveness and grace and transformation. Day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and you forgave me. You forgave me. So God loves you well enough not to abandon you to your own wanderings as would be uh, normal for you going through the dark ravine to, to bolt and leave the shepherd. He loves, he loves you better than that. He's not going to let you do that. He's not going to give you over to the false gods that you'd otherwise go after. He's not going to let you give your heart and soul to um, sex and money and power, all the things that this world runs after, thinking we're going to get our supreme satisfaction and our sustenance and our life from it. He's not going to give you over to those things. He's not going to let your addictions rule you. It might be hard to be broken from your addictions. But he's too good to let you wither under them. He's not going to let your addictions rule you. He's not going to let your secret sins fester and destroy you. So when you return to him, in humble confession, like David, go use Psalm 32 uh, to that end. Um, 
That's when you find true relief and real freedom and real healing and hope and transformation and joy and love as you're renewed into uh, the image of Christ himself. And that maybe unfortunately seems to be a process that we're in constant need of. We always need this kind of help as sheep who are prone to wander at the worst times. But we have a good shepherd and he will do what is necessary for our good to call us back to himself. Jesus said about himself in uh, John chapter 10 that I'm the good shepherd. He said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. And I and the Father are one. So he has joined us. This good shepherd, Jesus Christ, has joined us. He has blazed the trail through the valley of the shadow of darkness and death. He has led the way and he is the one that keeps us on the path with him as he takes us all the way through it. Because that's what this good shepherd does. This shepherd that Psalm 23 is about, that's what he does. So you probably need to rethink what it means that he's taking care of you. You need to rethink whether or not you actually know what's good for you and what's best for you in light of what it is he seems to be doing in your life, especially in those hard spots, those difficult spots. We need to rethink it. He's not providing existential airbags everywhere in your life. He's conforming you to the image of his son. That's what God is doing. And that's a violent process, but it really is what's best for you. It really is what's best for you. Because of the Lord Jesus, because of having him as our shepherd, you can know that the valley of the shadow of death is not evidence of God's abandonment of you. When you're suffering, it doesn't mean God is absent. And when you're suffering his discipline, it doesn't mean he's cruel. It actually means he loves you. That he's forming Christ in you. And, and you can only know that if you know the Lord Jesus. That's the only time you can have certainty about that is when you know and you've seen it in Jesus himself. So stick close to your good shepherd and you will know it. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we give you thanks for the revelation of Jesus Christ in the gospel, our good shepherd. We give you thanks that even though uh, we are uh, likened to dumb sheep, uh, that you are likened to a good shepherd and you take care of us even though we don't know what's best for us. We think we do and we're stubborn and, um, and a lot of times we're just wrong, but we know that you're watching out for us, you're taking care of us, you're leading us exactly where you want us to go. Those paths might seem uh, distressing and violent and frightening, but we know we do not have to fear because you are with us there, Lord Jesus, and we know that you're taking us um, to glory you're not just leaving us, you're not abandoning us when um, the going gets rough, but you go with us all the way through it and out the other side. And we pray that that hope would uh, fill all of our lives, that that trust would be uh, in our hearts and on our lips, that we would uh, stick close to your side instead of straying like the sheep that uh, we are, like we're prone to do. Um, we're prone to wander. We pray that you would keep us by your side, uh, whatever it takes. And we know it will be for our good. And we give you thanks that you do this. And we pray that you would help us to believe in what kind of shepherd you are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.